Amen. Good evening. How are y'all? Good, good. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's going to be a really, really good night. And um, this is one of those messages that I would... I don't have any problem telling you that you need to call your friends and tell them you need to watch this message um, because it's going to be one of those uh, that really makes a difference in the people's lives that will learn it and apply it. And uh, we started Humility and Grace a few months ago, or, or a couple of months ago, and then I was out of town and different things, and the Lord had us do a couple of messages, but uh, we weren't done with it. We had just started it. We had one night of Humility and Grace, right? So let's turn real quick to uh, James chapter 4 and verse 6. And James 4, 6 says, But he gives, God gives, a greater grace. How many people want a greater grace in their life? In other words, what it's talking about there is it's a grace that's greater than your problems. Y'all are so excited about that. It's, everybody's like, mm-hmm, that's nice, Pastor Brian. Real, all right, it's Wednesday, it's hump day, we're going over the hump, we're heading to the weekend, and right now we're feeding on the Word. There we go. But He gives a greater grace. Amen, there we go. All right. You still got to work on it, but that was better. That was better. And, and, and now, <laughs> that was good. Good. You're not going to like that I said that in a few minutes. <laughs> that was good. I'm setting you up, so I wouldn't accept that compliment too much right now. So, he gives you a greater grace, greater than any problem, right? How many people need the grace of God to be greater than any problem? Yeah, amen. So, I do too. I need the grace of God to outweigh the heaviest problem that I have. He says, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Alright, so, if this is one of the things that I always like pointing out is, you know, God is for you, but our choices will set us with God, flowing with him, or will set us in opposition to God. Pride sets us in opposition to God. So we are actually traveling upstream from the way that the Holy Spirit is showing us. But when we get humble, we line up with God and we just flow in grace and greater grace. And so a lot of times people will look at somebody who's things are going right in their life, and they'll go, well, they're just lucky. They're just, God just loves them. Well, maybe God does love them. Maybe they recognize it. Maybe they got that place because they were humble. Maybe they're just humble. <laughs> and they're flowing with God instead of against God. And so, is there something for us to get out of learning how to be humble and walking in humility versus walking in uh, pride. Absolutely, because with pride becomes opposition and with humility comes great grace. And we need great grace. Now, this is part two of the message, humility and grace. And I would highly, 
highly recommend you go listen to part one. Uh, Even if you were here the night that we preached it, when we were drawing this stuff before, but it didn't look that good because it was on the spot. Uh, So even if you were here, go back and listen to that message. I was listening to it today and I'm sitting there going, golly, I need to hear this message again myself. It's a good message and I can't go, I'm not going to go over everything I went over in that one, but it's huge. It's very, very important and it sets a foundation and a base. So here's one of the things. He gives grace to the humble. Let me, let me put it this way. This is something we said in the first one. Pride buries potential. Okay? So pride takes the potential that you have and it buries it. Humility multiplies potential. Okay? Um, I've, I've been going over this. I heard this. Somebody was preaching this, and I don't remember who it was, but um, there was a, uh, they were given an example of somebody that was gifted to play the violin. So let's say that a girl was born, and she was gifted by God to be the best violin player that ever was on the face of the earth, right? Does that mean that she's going to be the best violin player? No, because... In order to be the best violin player, first of all, even though she might be gifted to do it, she still has to learn how to do it. She still has to discipline herself to do that. She still has to humble herself. She may have the greatest gift to play that that anybody ever in the world has been gifted to play that instrument, but without discipline and structure and humility in that, She'll never be what she was gifted to be. Pride takes potential and buries it, but yet humility takes potential and multiplies it. It brings it out. It makes it flourish. So um, let, me, let me ask you this question. And will you do something? I shared uh, on my Facebook page, I shared a video by John Bevere talking about good versus God. Well, you just have that ready. I'm going to reference that a little bit later. And uh, so, let me give you this potential. And y'all shout out some answers to me, and I'll repeat them so they can hear us on live stream and on the archives. What are some reasons that people don't come to church uh, for service, or they don't go to church in general, or they jump around to different churches? Tell me the negatives about uh, negative reasons that people don't go to church. They've been hurt in church. They get offended in church. Gossip. There's gossipers at church. They judge. Okay? They're not fed. They say, I don't need to go to church to worship God. They're tired. I don't feel like going because I'm tired. They're lazy about it. They don't have time to go to church. Which is interesting, let's just pause right there because the Lord gave me this uh, earlier this afternoon. So let's say that tomorrow the e- economic market completely falls out and you don't have a job anymore, right? What you going to do? How valuable is all the effort that you've been putting into your job and your profession at that moment? Guess what raises all of a sudden in the minds and hearts of everybody? 
God, right? So we say that we don't have time. The difference is, you know, and really what it is, is we just don't prioritize Him over other stuff. Because, I mean, we will do everything to go and make sure we're at work so we don't lose a job and we get a paycheck. But we, but we don't realize who the actual source behind that job is. Because if that happened, people would be lining up at the church and we would help as many people as we could, but we wouldn't be able to help everybody. But we could help them show who their source is. So the question, it's all dealing with priorities. So continue. Why did they not come to church? What's some other reasons? They're nervous about what other people think. Some people are scared of the church. How about just some stuff like this? Well, that's not my kind of worship music. Right? He preaches too long. He preaches too short. He doesn't teach enough. He teaches too much. He makes us feel good. He doesn't make us feel good. All of, I've heard all of these. <laughs> they don't think we need God. Huh? This is not how I was raised. This is not the church that my parents took me to. Their kids don't want to go. They don't have a good kids program. We don't need a kids program. They need to be in church with us. There's somebody there I don't like. They need their rest. Okay. All right, that's enough. Y'all are getting on a roll. <laughs> I'm already, I was like, whoo, God. See, I think that we've heard all of those for reasons why people don't go to church. In other words, church is, church is not going to meet everything that your flesh desires, and that's the problem. They're paying attention more to the flesh than they are what the Word tells them to do. All right, so here's the thing. Now let me ask this question, because I, I saw this in an email. I think I posted it. What if the pastor or the church took that same level of judgment and held it against everybody coming in that door? Let me ask this question. How many of y'all would be here if we judged you with the same level of judgment before you came in? I wouldn't even be here. <laughs> None of us would be here. So, and a lot of people say, well, the church is so judging. No, the church is not judging. We're, everybody here is welcome to come in with all your problems. Now, the reason I pull out that example is this, because all of us in our mind, we think that we are pretty good, right? We think that we're pretty good. But when you start to look at that kind of judgment and then apply it back on yourself, all of a sudden you start to see yourself as being, well, maybe I'm not as good as what I thought I was, right? I mean, and we talked about this in the last time, you know, when people do walk in the door, they don't walk in the door and go, hey, I'm Brian, and I used to be a drunk, and I used to smoke, and I've tried drugs before, and, and I had sex before marriage, and I did this, and they don't tell you all this stuff. They don't tell you that I should have been arrested for DUIs when I was young, and, and I went to every party that I could get my eye, because I was all in to all that kind of stuff. They don't tell you that, hey, I used to watch porn on the internet, and I was addicted to it at one time, and they don't tell you this and that, and that I've gossiped about people, and all the time while I was claiming to be a Christian, nice to meet you, can I come to church? 
They don't tell you, hey, I used to think about how I could set up an illegal organization to run drugs. And they don't tell you about how I used to steal money and do this and do that and everything else. And you know what? Guess who I'm talking about? For real. Me. That's me. And the reason they don't come right out and show you that kind of stuff, that's the guy that I used to be. And I was raised good. But what they don't realize is this. They don't realize what they, what they do is they'll walk in and they'll be like, I'm so happy to be here and let me tell you about all my gifts. I have the gift of prophecy. Would you like to hear one right now? And, then, and let me tell you about this and that and everything else. And what they're doing, they're not going to tell you all the junk because their reputation is their source. And not God. They won't tell you all that stuff because they're not humble. They're prideful. They won't tell you all that stuff because ultimately we're, we've been living as a society a lot more by the flesh than we have by the Spirit. And so instead of being honest and open, you know, we're just like, let me hide all this stuff because if they ever found out, I would do nothing at the church. They would never want to love on me. That's not true. The truth is, you know, either between other people telling me or you telling me or the Holy Spirit telling me, I pretty much know all your stuff. I mean, it really is true. And I don't care. And neither does God. That's why He already sent Jesus. So now, you can take all the weight of that junk that you've been carrying and trying to hold back behind and just be like, let it go. What would make you hold on to it? Pride. And that sets us right in opposition to God. One of the things we talked about is, you know, a humble person, they are so accepting of correction they are so accepting of being exhorted and being rebuked and they receive correction easily. But you know what that also does? A, a prideful person then, they are so unaccepting of correction, of rebuke, of discipline, structure, and so what it does is it buries the talents. But here's the other thing that it does. We talked about this last time. The, the prideful person, who wants to be around that person? And so our job in the kingdom of God is to be an ambassador. How good of an ambassador is a prideful person being? Not. Because people, we did this last time, Seth was up here, and, and when we said he was prideful, here's what people do. Beep, beep, beep. They're getting away from him, right? But a humble person, it's natural to come to them as they accept uh, correction and discipline. That humble person also accepts other people. And will be, they'll just, you know, people want to be around that kind of person. The only person that doesn't want to be around a humble person is a very, very prideful person. Or a very, very evil person, one or the other. That's the only person that doesn't want to be around humble because they think that they're weak. They don't realize they're the strongest that there is. Okay. So now, what makes 
something good. When we say that's good, like I said that, you know, hallelujah while ago was good. What makes something good? Think about that. Why is it good? It's acceptable. It's just not bad. Well, then that can be really far off, can it? What did you say? What, what did you say? Not bad. What did you say? It's just enough. Yeah. It makes you happy, which is moving by the flesh. There you go. It's in your tolerance range. But guess what? Your tolerance range and my tolerance range may be different. So what I consider bad, you might consider good. Or what you consider uh, bad, I might consider good. So what's good? Listen, let me just run you through this. What's good in our society really means it's better than. Okay? If something's good to us, in other words, like, well, he's a good person. Well, that just means that they're better than the next person or better than a bad person. But it doesn't really define where they're at in there. It's just a little bit better than something. Okay? So good really means better than. But here's the question. Better than what? Because we all rate good differently. We rate, a lot of us uh, will rate our lives as good when the good outweighs the bad. Okay? I, this is an example that we use. Uh, here's... Uh, the line of righteousness, and I realize that it's not a really straight line. That's because that's, I never had good handwriting. I'm sorry. I should have let Nicole draw that one. Or not. So, and there's a, <laughs> hey baby, love you, praying for you. All right, righteousness, this is a line of righteousness, okay? <laughs> so, above this righteousness is uh, godliness, all right? And right here, 100% godliness. Guess who that is? That, it would be God. All right? Jesus, God. And then you got like 80% good and 20% bad, and then or 80% godly and 20% ungodly. And then you got like 60% godly and 40% uh, un- ungodly. And then you got like this evil person almost. So we would look at... We would look at this 60-40 and we would say that person generally is a good person. And I would say that 60-40 is probably about where, now this is just my estimation, doesn't have to be right, but it, I would say that's probably pretty close to the average American. Okay, And so we would look at that person and say, hey, they've done more good than they have bad, they're a good person. But good compared to what? Because here's the thing. You, I don't think we realize just how much that little bit below this line, even if it's just a 1%, disrupts the other 99. I don't think we really know how powerful that is. Well, when we start to understand that, this is not good at all. So what is good? How do we, we rate our lives as good when the good outweighs the bad and we can agree together tonight that it's not good to do that but at the same time, who knows if it's not good because it's your good that you're rating. I feel like Bilbo in the movie where he talked about, okay, so it's good, see? And who knows if it really is. <laughs> we, that's just it. It's a rating based on what you think. 
Thank you. She said it's good. The problem is good equals better, but guess what? Godly equals best. Better never really rates to best. So, you can have good, but not have godly. In other words, it can be good, it can be rated by most people as good, but that doesn't mean it's godly. And that's the trap. Because most of, every one of us feel like we're leading good lives. But if we live 99% godly, but still have 1% ungodly, that 1% will ruin more stuff than you can shake a stick at. It'll ruin so much stuff. You just Let's say that it's 80-20. Still, that 20% is incredibly powerful. That 20% is a disruptor of your fellowship with God, and that is incredibly powerful. So imagine that you know, every five days, let's say that every five days, you know, uh, for the first four days in a five-day cycle, I tell Nicole just how awesome she is and how wonderful she is. And man, we just have the best time as husband. Why, just awesome. But then that fifth day comes around and I just cuss her out and tell her how worthless she is and what all the stuff. And I just don't even want to see you today. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. That's how good that 80% is. Because how's she going to feel about it? And how strong is our relationship and fellowship really if I still have 20% that's coming between me and God? So, there's a trap there. Because we can say, hey, they're a good person. They love God. They might love God 80% of the time. That doesn't make them good. And it doesn't make them godly. Let's watch that video, if you would put that up. I, this was actually in my notes before I saw the video, and then I saw the video. I'm like, yes! Yes, good stuff. Or not. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so clear. He said, son. Okay. It wasn't the evil started, side. Started at the very beginning. The Let's turn and I heard it the Lord say this so clear. He said, son, it wasn't the evil side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Eve was drawn to. He said it was the good side. When I heard that, I flew my Bible over to Genesis 3, and sure enough, this is what I read. When she saw, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable. So I saw the words good, pleasant, and desirable. She partook of the fruit. And I sat there with my jaw open, and I realized I didn't really understand what good was. You see, let me tell you something. God spoke this to me right after that. He said, son, Christian people, good people, quote, good people, they're not drawn to the evil, blatant sins of this world. They're not drawn to orgies and, you know, drug-infested parties. He said, there is a good that is not submitted to me, that is actually rebellious to me. 
all of a sudden I realized I don't have a handle on what really good is. And so it began in me a work that God began to do to understand that in these last days, what's really going to deceive people is not blatant evil. It's going to be a good that is blatant evil in God's eyes. I like the beat. That sounds good. So here's the thing. Now, he said, it's good that's not submitted to God. What does that mean? That means it's something that you're doing that is viewed as good or rated by somebody as quote-unquote good, but it's not humbling yourself to God. And so therefore, if you're not humbling yourself, you're in pride, what are you? You're in opposition. Therefore, if you're not in humility, you're not flowing with God, you're flowing against God. You're not adding to the kingdom, you're taking away from the kingdom. You see? And so, and you would still say, and everybody would look at you and say, it's good. You know, I know a lot of people that say, hey, if you're called to, if, not if you're called, but if you go and you become a preacher, that's good. Well, not if you're not called by God. Well, if you start a church, you're doing a good work. That's exactly it. You might be doing a good work, but you might not be doing a godly work if God didn't call you to do that. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says that you can give all your possessions to the poor and give your body to be burned, but have not love and it profits you nothing. In other words, you are making a big choice to give everything that you are to the point where you burn yourself out and yet you still are completely outside of love. That means you're outside of God. That means you are not submitted. You are not humble you might be doing what most people would call good, but it's not God. And outside of that, you don't have grace. And there's a bunch of programs that are popping up you know, in churches now to go do this or do that and use your talents and do this and that. And those can be great if God called them to be. But if God didn't call them to be or God didn't call you to be a part of them, that doesn't mean that you need to do it. That's why a lot of people say, well, Ryan, we ought to start this ministry or start that ministry or do this or do that. And I'll say, that's great. You better talk to God because if he, ain't, if he hadn't told me to do it, we're not doing it. Because it can be good in the world's eyes, but that doesn't mean it's God. And humility is not, is not going, oh, yes, that's such a great idea, Barrett. Let's go do that. Yeah, amen. Praise God. That's not good. <laughs> That's not humble. That can actually be pride that won't say no. It can be pride that doesn't say no. In, in other words, what am I doing? I would be honoring her desires to maybe go start some, which she hasn't asked me to go start anything out. Not recently, anyway. I don't remember anything. Anyway, praise God. Amen. Moving on. So, it. Anyway, it may be that I'm trying to honor her by saying, yes, let's start that ministry, but completely denying God and dishonoring God because He never said to do it. So I'm honoring a person at the cost of dishonoring God. That's the difference between pride and humility. That's also the difference between if it'll work or not. 
there's a lot of ministries that start that they're not working. And the reason is because they were never supposed to be there in the first place. Because He gives grace. You know, there's, there's people that will look at our ministry and they're like, my goodness, how do they make it? Why are they still open? What are they still doing? I'm thinking this is pretty good compared to what some of the stuff we've been through. But here's the thing. He gives a grace to be there and do that. Even when it feels like, you know, because there's been times where Nicole and I have both been like, why are we doing this? And, and we're both like, I don't know. Except for the love of God. And in the middle of that, when we felt low, and guess what? You're going to have times in your life where you're doing not the good thing, but the godly thing, and you're going to feel horrible. Your body's going to be yelling and screaming at you. Let me say it this way. Your flesh, corrupted flesh, is going to be yelling and screaming at you. Why? Because you're not about doing good. You're about doing godly. And your flesh is going to be warring against the Spirit. And instead of looking at your flesh and going, what is wrong with you flesh? What is wrong with you poor flesh? And petting it and giving in to it, you ought to stand up to it and say, I know what God said and I have resolved to stand no matter what. That's humility. And you will find that there's a grace to go through things that people will look on and say, how did they do that? There's a grace to walk through walls that most people would say were impenetrable. There's a grace to take on impossibilities and make them possible. There's a grace to take on things that are supernatural and dismiss them like they're nothing. Because somebody will humble themselves to the call of God. Will put down their flesh. Resist the devil. Amen. So, you can have good without godly. And that's the trap. Listen to this. Good or good intentions does not equal humility. Think about that again. Good and good intentions, that is not the same as humility. You can be good, in other words, and prideful. I'll say it again. You can be good and prideful. But not godly. You can be good, but not godly. That's what he was just talking about. And... Let me, let me show you something. I'm going to show you a trap again using this. And, and this is very interesting. So let's say, let, you know, all right, so 60% good, 40% ungodly, or 60% godly, 40% ungodly. I'm having to catch myself from saying good now. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. This, this person, this average American, um, they think that they're really pretty much most of the time right or else they wouldn't do what they do, right? But the problem is that this uh, person has been brought up in a world and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's out there that, that people say, well, this is God to stand up for your rights and this and everything else. That's not God at all. But the world has taught us that it is. And 
for example, right now we've got several different things going on in the country. One of them that's sticking out to me big time is the Confederate flag, that, that issue, right? So here's the Confederate flag issue at this point in my eyes. Who cares? I know history. I know what's good. And I know states should have their rights. I can't go and champion an issue that doesn't have God as the priority in the issue. Otherwise, I'm allowing the world to set my agenda. And the world doesn't have a right to set my agenda. God has a right to set my agenda. But then there's people that are actually... Do you realize that the Nazis were saying that it was God when they were killing all those Jews? Do you realize that the Crusaders were saying, and the listen, the priests were saying it was God to go and kill all the Muslims. Now, they were also protecting Jerusalem. and there's a, So in other words, there was a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie. Well, isn't that the way that the world and the devil does that? Do you realize it was also the Muslims saying it was God to wipe everybody that's an infidel out? So in other words, our world teaches us certain things that are godly and certain things that aren't. And, and the devil really does not care just how much a mixture there is as long as there's mixture. And as an ambassador and as a child of God, we don't have the right to allow mixture of the holy and the profane. That means that we have to open ourselves up and be humble for correction and rebuke so that we can find out what this piece is. Now let me give you an example. I'm, I'm calling this the psychopath example, okay? Alright, so amen. So, let's say that this person, the 60% godly and 40% ungodly, this is your average American, okay? So in the average American... Um, how many people would? Uh, how many people in America? Like, let, give me a percentage. How many per people do you think are genu genuinely good people? I mean, genuinely, like you know, their intentions are good. I'm hearing numbers all over the place. Let me let me tell you what I have found in dealing with people. Most people are not evil. All right? Most people are not evil. Now, their actions may be evil, but in their heart, they're literally trying to do what they think is best. They just don't know what's best. They do, let me put it this way. They don't know what's godly or not. Okay? But most people in their actions are actually pretty good and have good intentions. Okay? So... Here's the question. How many people know every godly and right thing to do? So I would say if, I was saying, if I was saying how many people are genuinely evil, I might would say 1 or 2% based off of what I've seen out of people. That doesn't mean that their actions are good. It just means that they are genuinely set to do bad. Okay? Maybe 1% or 2%, all right? Now, that could be off by a little bit, but I would, I would say that it's not that, that big. But how many people know 
100% of the right things to do. Zero. So we can say that there's about 98% that are good people, right? But there's 0% that actually knows everything to do. So how many people are actually godly? 100% godly. Zero. Yeah, Jesus was the only one. Thank goodness we inherit his righteousness in the eyes of God. Right? Praise God for that. Now here's the thing, and I'm, I'm going somewhere, I just want you to kind of follow, follow me here. Most people don't know all of God, and that means they don't know how to be godly. How can they be 100% godly? It's just, it's not possible, because if it was possible, that would mean that they know everything that there is to know about God. Every detail. I don't know anybody like that. You know anybody like that? I don't know anybody like that. So in other words, every person is dealing with some percentage of anti-godliness, of, of not God, right? But we would all agree that most of the people have good intentions. Then why aren't they doing good things? One's because they don't know. Most are 80, 80, 60, 80% godly, doing the best that they know how. They are doing what they would call good. They're doing what they would call good. If they weren't doing that, let's say that you had average American here, 60% godly, 40% ungodly. He was aware of everything godly, but did it ungodly. He was aware of all the bad, but he did it anyway, that person's evil. That person's a psychopath. So either we're living in a society full of psychopaths, or they actually have decent intentions, they have good intentions, they just don't happen to be godly. So here's the thing, because there's, there's a trap here. This is where humility comes in. Because without it, you never uncover what's wrong. In other words, most people in their heads, they think that the things that they are doing is 100%. Because if they didn't think that it was 100%, they would be the psychopath. In other words, pretty much I can say with confidence that pretty much everybody in this room is not doing everything godly. But you're not a psychopath. Thank uh, Is it? Well, uh, we got some questionables. But you see what I'm saying? You're not, you know, here's the thing. Because if you were doing everything you knew that was wrong, but you did it anyway, you would be a psychopath. Very evil. Most people aren't evil. They just don't know the difference. But in their head, they think, that they're doing all the right things. They think they're making all the right choices. So how do you get around making all the right, not making all the right choices, but thinking that you're making all the right choices? This is where humility comes in. See, without humility, you stay in the trap. 
But right now, I can tell you that the actions that you've been performing over most of the last, uh, you know, how many people, just looking back at it, not trying to be super spiritual because we're talking about humility and grace tonight, but how many people, throw out some percentages, how many uh, percentages would you say have been right in the last few months of the stuff that you've been, uh, the actions you've been taking? What percentage of right do you think you've been making? Don't be super spiritual. If you think only 45%, then that does make you a psychopath. That's what I'm saying. Well, recognizing it tonight is one thing. I'm saying before you start hearing this message tonight, how many people thought that they were doing pretty right? What would you say, 90, 95%? 80, 85? 80-20? And see, the truth of the matter is probably none of those numbers are actually what they actually are according to God. Like if God's looking down on it and He's drawing the line of righteousness, it's probably not as high as what we think. Probably nowhere close, honestly. But in your head, you think, hey, I made that decision for this reason and when I made it, I felt like I was right. So how do you get around thinking that you're right, but yet knowing that you're not? That's where humility comes in. And that's why we need it. That's why God hates pride. Because with pride, you stay at this place, and all of this stuff that you're actually doing wrong, you say is right. And as a Christian... That is the death knell in a sinner's mind. Because you go do the wrong thing, they know it's the wrong thing, but then you proclaim that it's right. And your witness with them, and for most Christians at that point, gets flushed down the drain. So how important is humility? Without it, you're operating basically as a psychopath. And then you wonder why the world looks at us and goes, y'all are nuts. Because without humility, that really is what the end result is. Listen to this as we wrap up tonight, and then there's some, man, this is, I, I want to finish all of my notes because it's so rich and it's so powerful, but tonight I just wanted you to see, again, more examples of I don't, want, I don't want to leave you here where you're all like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be a psychopath. I don't want to leave you there. That, that's, that would be bad pastor, bad, bad pastor. All right. We want to be the kind of people that step into the greater grace. We want to be the kind of people that shine in a dark world. But we don't do it by operating in pride. We do it by operating in humility. That means we have to open up our hearts to know that we're more wrong than we think we are and we need God to show us where we're wrong and where we're right so we know what to fix. But that means I've got to be willing to be wrong. Include me. I've got to be willing to have missed it. 
Because most people, when they come up and they argue about stuff, right? They come up and they fuss over stuff. What are they fussing about? No matter what you said, I did it all right. That's what they're arguing about. In other words, really you start taking away pride and you start inserting humility. How many arguments do you have? Not a whole lot. And matter of fact, there's a uh, uh, scripture. See if I can find it here. Yeah, James four one. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, let me go back to the first verse. What is the source of your quarrels and conflicts? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? Anyway, is, is it not the flesh waging war against spiritual things inside of you. And you can go on to say, is it not pride in you? And that's what it is. And that's where the quarrels, that's where the fusses come from. That's why people feel like they have to prove their point. Why? Because they think that they're doing 100% right. And because their humility is so lacking that they don't actually realize just how much they're off. And so they feel like they have to prove it. Otherwise, they become the psychopath if they're not willing to be wrong. Well, if, I, if you say I'm doing wrong, and I'm not doing wrong, if you say I'm doing wrong, then that means that I would have done it on purpose, and I'm not that person. No, but you're becoming that really quickly because you're allowing pride to make you into the monster. What did Jesus, man, this has been sitting on me and sitting on me and sitting on me. Do you realize that Jesus was willing to be uh, convicted for being wrong over something he actually didn't do? Do you realize that he was willing to pay the price for a crime he did not commit? Do you realize that Jesus was willing to to be wrong when he was actually right. He was willing to take the blame for something he did not do. We need more Christians to be like that. They are having a hard time even being wrong about the stuff they were wrong about, much less the stuff they weren't wrong about. I've had the Lord tell me in situations, even when I knew that I didn't do wrong, I've had the Holy Spirit specifically tell me to go up and tell somebody and take on the uh, responsibility for being wrong when I know I didn't do it. Why? Because it helps, it helps get them out from under the pressure so that freedom can come to them. That's exactly what Jesus did to us. But you don't do that kind of stuff without humility. You don't do that kind of stuff with pride in your life. 
And that means you've got to start really being willing to take the cover off of who you really are and shine in there with a really bright flashlight, flashlight and see who you really are. That's what Christians have supposed to have been doing the whole time. But what we've been doing is just teaching each other over and over and passing it down from generation into generation to generation how much we're right when we were actually wrong and then showing them how to be even more wrong and calling it right. And without somebody that will step into humility and say, I'm willing to be wrong then that cycle just perpetuates and basically multiplies ungodliness until you reach a society like we have today. There's got to be somebody that will stand up. If nobody else in this room gets this message, there's got to be one that says, I'll put on humility. If nobody else does, I don't care if I look like the fool. I don't care if I look like the idiot. I will put on humility. I will judge myself correctly. I will not be caught in pride. Not just for me, but for God. He paid the price. He did it first. I'm just repeating the actions of my Lord and Savior. I'm just just fulfilling His righteousness in my actions. And that means we've got to take arguments that we have and we think that we are so right in and be willing to look at them. And be willing to go back to some people and say, you know what? <laughs> I was wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. We've got to be, be willing to do that. And if you're not willing to do that, you're just perpetuating the cycle. But when we do, grace, straight from the heart of God, gets poured out in us. Greater grace to overcome all the issues, all the problems, a grace that's greater than anything that can come up in your life as an attack, as a symptom, as a problem, as a lack. Greater grace, a grace that's greater than all of that is given to the humble. Will you put that James 4, 6 up one more time? But God gives A greater grace. He gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So tonight, here's the decision point. And you can't just make this decision tonight and then forget it by the time we walk outside. You can't just make it tonight and then tomorrow forget this message ever happened. If you really choose the way of humility and you really choose to put down pride, this is going to be an ongoing thing for the rest of your life. And guess what that basically means? And yes, I'll just drop the hammer right here. You're going to be wrong a lot. You're going to be wrong a whole lot. And you know what? The more you recognize that and make a change, the more right you'll be. Let me put it this way. You've been living in lack by being willing to make changes. You're actually, that means your your future has promise and hope. In other words, you're heading to a better place. As soon as you make that decision, and it's a heart decision, your whole life looks different in the future.
Everything looks different. And not only that, it's not just your life that looks different. It's the lives of the people around you and your family's lives and your friends' lives. Why? Because you put on a greater grace from God. Not only can you tell other people about it and how to do it, but they take notice. It shows up. It looks different. People go, what's different about that person? And they might not know at the beginning that they got to be wrong too to get to that place, but they know I want that. There's something very real and very genuine, and I need it. That's what the world really hasn't seen out of Christians as a whole. And it's really what we need. Greater grace in manifestation in our lives instead of just talking about it. Let's just stand... Lord, right now, we just praise You. And I know right now, Lord, that You are dealing with people's hearts. That right now, You're calling them to humility. You're calling hearts to humility. You're calling hearts to the place of greater grace. A grace that's greater than anything that they can face. But Lord, it's a decision. Do I want to give you everything that is what, you know, the person I think I am? And the answer is yes. Because the person that God thinks you are is much better than that person. Are you willing tonight to say, yeah, I'm, I'm moving? I just, I want to, I don't always, definitely don't always do this on Wednesday night, but I really feel like it tonight. I just want everybody to bow your head so that nobody sees. And I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to raise your hand if you're just really not feeling this or you're not sure. But if you know tonight is a turning point in my life, I'm willing to look at myself through a lens of God's righteousness like I never have before. I'm lo- willing to put on humility and be wrong. And I'm making that decision tonight. Just will you hold your hand up and keep it there for a second? And if you don't know quite yet, that's fine. That's, that's good. I'd re- God wants you, that's humility is being honest. But if it's you and you're saying, I'm putting on humility tonight and I will never, never take it off. Me raising my hand is a sign of my commitment. Lord, I just ask that you will bless. You can put your hands down. Lord, I just ask right now that you would bless that humble measure that was enough to just raise their hand and say, Lord, I need that. Lord, I need that. Lord, I ask right now that your promise, your promise of greater grace would flow into their lives right now. Lord, I thank you that problems are being solved. Lord, we give you humility not because, uh, ju- ju- not just because we're trying to get greater grace out of it. We give you humility because, number one, it's the right thing to do. It's not just good, it is God. And you gave it to us first. We're empowered to love on you through our actions. But number two, Lord, you did make a promise. And we receive in Jesus' name.
greater grace. And just say it with me. Just say, Lord, I receive greater grace right now in my life. A grace that is greater than all my problems that I've been having. And we praise you for it. And thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go with God. Have a great night. Go in His grace. Amen.